Hello, my name is Joel Ludding with another CTS NetBeat podcast, and I'm here at the beautiful Royal Papworth Hospital in Cambridge doing robotic surgery. We've got so much for you this week on CTS Net. We've got the amazing Partner 3 trial, five-year results. Don't go away to find out what that shows. A uh, really good paper on paediatric patient-donor-recipient mismatch. How different a heart can you have as a child? Uh, we've got a really big new diversity uh, thing in the circulation, and there are three great videos. An interview uh, with myself and Rene Petson and Giuseppe Cardillo with brand new GDO guidelines, a Cono procedure for an amazing endocarditis, endocarditis save, uh, and a really, really cool detachable aortic cross clamp for robotic mitral surgery. There's so much on our podcast. Uh, check it out now on CTSnet and uh, check out uh, the full length CTSnet podcast on our website. So I'm here in Royal Papworth Hospital in Cambridge on this beautiful, uh, lovely autumnal day. We've got uh, the amazing new massive Royal Papworth uh, in the background there. Uh, we've got a huge new AstraZeneca building just here uh, to research the latest new uh, vaccines. And uh, we've been here doing Versius Cambridge Medical Robotic Robotic Surgery, where they're actually doing robotic surgery in Royal Papworth and over the road doing another robotic case with general surgery. So things really taking off in the world of Versius uh, Robotics. So thank you very much to Aman Kuna, uh, Adam Perrett and Giuseppe Aresu, who are the three thoracic surgeons here. So what do we got on the website today? Well, without doubt, the very biggest news this week has been the Partner 3 trial five-year results. So this trial led by Michael Mack and uh, many, many others, Vino Tirani, uh, huge numbers of other people, uh, is absolutely huge. This is New England Journal of Medicine published this week. Um, Michael Mack from Baylor Scott, uh, but there's so many other uh, units, you can hardly name them, uh, sponsored by the company uh, who make the Sapiens uh, of note. But what does it find? Well, just remember, Partner 3 is a study specially in low-risk patients. So these have got to be STS prom risk score less than 4%. Uh, you know, these are 70-year-olds, you know, low comorbidities, fit for surgery, fit for TAVA, um, and then they get in this trial. This was actually presented uh, as the late-breaking clinical session of TCT this year and is now being simultaneously published in the New England Journal of Medicine because it's that important. Uh, and, and it is important. So what, what did they do? Well, they randomised 503 patients to a TAVA and 497 patients to open surgical aortic valve replacement. Um, their endpoints were exactly what you might expect. And they've been producing the short-term results, but it really is the long-term results that we want. And we understand that the five-year results, that is going to then close this study. There's not going to be any longer results than five years. So this is as long as we're going to get. And what are the answers? Well, here they are. There is no significant difference in the risk of death, stroke or rehospitalizations between TAVA and surgical aortic valve replacement. Um, the mortality is TAVA 22.8%, SAVA, uh, which is the surgical group, 27%. Uh, at five years, uh, that was of all complications. And at five years, the mortality is 10% TAVA, 8% SAVA. 
so, you know, uh, no significant difference uh, looking at the confidence intervals. Uh, and uh, interestingly, the surgical group obviously has higher mortality initially, and then the curves cross. They cross at 36 months. Uh, and um, the mean valve gradients are just the same, 12 versus 11, um, and, uh, and the bioprosthetic valve failure rate are exactly the same as well, 3.3 versus 3.8. Now, if you go and look in the supplements, you can see that there is a little bit of a difference uh, between surgical aortic valve replacement and TAVA at five years, and the um, the lines are diverging and it is just it's a couple of percent it's like three percent benefit uh, for for composite outcomes so you know there is a tiny single of maybe slight benefit but actually I think the overall findings that everyone is going to take away from this is um, that that TAVA is just the same as surgical AVR and people getting a bioprosthesis. Really big news. Uh, we're going to try and talk to Michael Mack uh, this week, I hope, try and have an interview with him, see what he thinks about these findings, which will be really, really interesting. What do you think? Is this going to change your practice? Uh, and uh, I certainly think it is going to change practice worldwide, but what do you think? The next paper we were quite impressed to see, we were really pleased, uh, was Jennifer Lawton. She has published a paper called Women in Cardiac Surgery, Closing the Equity Gap. And the thing that struck me is that this is in the general uh, journal literature. This is in circulation, super high impact factor journal. Uh, so well done for Jennifer Lawton. It's a really well thought out article. Um, it was also written by Bobby Yanagawa and Marina Ibrahim and uh, Jennifer Lawton, obviously known to most of us, Professor of Surgery at John Hopkins, a uh, real pioneer uh, ambassador for female surgery. And she points out that while now in medical school um, in Canada, 40 to 50 percent of medical students uh, are, are women. Um, she actually said in Quebec, uh, in Canada specifically, it's 37 percent men, 63 percent women. Uh, even in Boston, in Harvard Medical School, where she works, it's 56% uh, men, 42% women. It really is parity or more in favour of women. Um, and yet, at the very top uh, of cardiac surgery, it's never exceeded more than 10%. So, so what is it about cardiac surgery? Interestingly, um, is it the number of people coming in? Well, she points out that in Canada, 40 to 50% of cardiac trainees have been women, and yet they're dropping out. So is there something very specific about how we've set up cardiac surgery to be so anti-female uh, and that's what this article is all about in circulation really quite big impact so well done jennifer lawton for for fighting the cause of, of equity in cardiac surgery the third uh, article we have for you on the website this week uh, is an interesting one. It's assessing donor-recipient size mismatch in paediatric heart transplants. Lessons learned from over 7,500 transplants. And, uh, you know, this has got to be one of the biggest questions in paediatric heart transplant. How big a disparity can you have? And can the disparity, is it worse if it's a bigger heart compared to the patient? Or is it worse having a tiny heart for a big patient? So, so the disparity question has always been around. And this has been answered really elegantly this month in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, Jack, this month. Uh, and it was by Mariska Kenma uh, and lots of other authors from the Paediatric Heart Failure and Transplant. Uh, center from Cleveland, Ohio, um, the number one heart surgery center in the USA. 
Um, so they looked at over 7,500 transplants, uh, and this was on the Paediatric Heart Transplant Society database. Um, they actually looked, there's lots of ways that you could determine what is mismatch. Um, I kind of didn't appreciate this really. Uh, so you could just do the height of the donor versus recipient, the weight, the body mass index, the body service area, the predicted heart mass, the total cardiac volume. Uh, so, so they looked at all of those uh, and they tried to look and see which was the most predictive of mismatch, which, and by mismatch, uh, they showed um, sort of reduced one and five year graft survival when it started uh, dipping off. And, uh, and they looked at 7,715 uh, donor recipient pairs. They determined that according to different categories, um, if you used, um, if you used uh, height and weight, 36% were well matched. Uh, if you used predicted heart ma mass, 39% were well matched. If you used body surface area, 50% seemed to be well matched. Uh, and if you used just height, 70% uh, are well matched. And total cardiac volume, 93% seem well matched uh, but actually when you look at uh, what is the most predictive of uh, mismatch and failure then it was total cardiac volume um, and also height so quite interesting uh, they they try and uh, imply that we should get some standardized size matching across centers uh, and uh, and actually if you did that maybe the issue is that p patients and donors being rejected and that using uh, total cardiac volume or using height would actually have people more confident to accept bigger mismatches uh, for children which I think is really important um, you often worry that you're going to cause a problem but actually it's more difficult to accept that you might not have a problem thereby accepting the donor. So, so let's look at this paper and let's accept more uh, hearts for our paediatric transplants. So those were our three papers today and then I'll hand over to the CTSNA office who will tell you a few more things that will be on our website this week. Are you on the lookout for a new job in cardiothoracic surgery? Hundreds of open positions are waiting for you at CTSNet's Career Center. Through ctsnet.org, you can browse jobs and sign up for custom job alerts direct to your inbox. For an even more enhanced experience, create a free account and upload your resume so employers and recruiters can find you. Happy job hunting! Now, back to the beat. We've got three nice videos for you this week on CTSNet. The first one is an interview. Uh, I interviewed Rene Pettersson and Giuseppe Cardio at EACS this year, and we interviewed them about the new guidelines for the management of GGOs uh, in thoracic surgery. This has been several years in development. We actually started this project uh, before uh, COVID. Uh, I was lucky enough to be one of the co-authors with these two fabulous chairmen. We met several times. We did a huge amount of work uh, and also EX generally helped really, really well and the ESDS helped brilliantly. Um, I think it's really good. It's really worth a read. It was out in uh, the European Journal uh, at the same time as it was presented at EX. And it's really good. It's, it it uh, has different chapters. It has a chapter on pure ground glass change. To me, the headline was chill out about pure GGOs. You don't have to worry too much about them. 
and you know wait until they're about three centimeters before you say standardly uh, take them out but also it says once they're a couple of centimeters why don't you get a CT guided biopsy 80% of patients will get positive histology on the CT biopsy so it kind of says to me chill out with pure GGOs there's then a chapter on part solid GGOs and to me it says only treat the solid part so treat that according to your standard guidelines for, as if it was just a normal solid nodule uh, and ignore the GGO bit um, then it's got one on multiple GGOs uh, and to me the guidelines said treat everyone individually so treat the worst one so if you've got three uh, go treat the worst one if that's for surgery but if you're in there you know you might as well try and take the others out how do you take the others out well there's a chapter on uh, on nodule localization can use ICG fiducials methylene blue uh, all sorts of different ways of doing it and it's quite a helpful suggestive um, topic and then there's a really good chapter on uh, minimally invasive surgery its benefits in the light of the violet trial and segmentectomy and wedge in the light of JCOG and CalGB so great job you guys and great job European Journal for leading the way on ground glass changes there are two really nice clinical videos that we've got uh, for you. Uh, the first one is really interesting. It was by Alexander Crave from Central Washington Hospital in the USA. Uh, and he had a 39-year-old woman who in the past had had aortic valve endocarditis when she was a drug abuser. But she had uh, got clean, uh, got a young kid uh, and then presented with a ventricular septal defect uh, around the bioprosthetic uh, valve and uh, and an aneurysm just underneath uh, the uh, the valve the valve was failing uh, and there was this big bulging aneurysm uh, between the left and right coronary cusps and uh, Alexander Crope had this great idea well why don't I just open up the annulus just like when you do a conos not that all of us do have many conos but he obviously does so he said why don't I, I'll, I'll just cut into the roof of this big huge aneurysm and then I will enlarge uh, the annulus so I can put in my valve and then I'll just close it like a conos with two patches really nice Nice video it's only about 20 minutes definitely worth a watch and uh, a really nice idea for addressing this significant problem uh, which would I think otherwise have been quite difficult to fix great job uh, and then the final video is just a little quickie but it's a beaut um, this is from uh, uh, um, from uh, Mark Gillenoff and his team and uh, Kevin Hodges narrates this video and it is very simple it's basically a lovely tip for robotic mitral surgery they've got a detachable aortic cross clamp and it's a beaut uh, so so basically uh, you go in and you put this cross clamp on uh, they do a really nice good job of looking through the transverse sinus to check you don't nip the pulmonary artery and then when you when you place this clamp the head just detaches uh, which is great so so it's not in the way there's not an extra hole and just leaves it there and it looks super reliable and then they go and crack on and do their robotic mitral and then at the end you re-engage the clamp uh, with the arm and uh, by the assistant uh, and un unclamp it looked really really simple why wouldn't you use this uh, looks fantastic and great job there so I hope you enjoy those videos on CTSnet do let us know if you've posted a video do you like us to pr to highlight it uh, on our 
our website. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think about these videos. And uh, so finally, just like to do my usual, uh, where is Diego this week? Uh, the world's most famous thoracic surgeon traveling the world, helping us all to do better thoracic surgery. Uh, I just traveled to Papworth, but this week he has traveled back to Shanghai to host uh, around 30 international thoracic surgeons at the amazing Shanghai Pulmonary Hospital. And he's again doing one of his amazing uniportal vats and uniportal rats courses there. So well done to uh, Diego. And finally, an honorable mention. Uh, and really, I, I couldn't go anywhere but mentioning uh, an honorable mention to Michael Mack. He's been such a leader in the world of kydothoracic surgery over multiple, multiple years. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think the partner three, he was involved in partner one, partner two, partner three. And that's because he took the amazing step of as a surgeon engaging with modern technology. And it really, really took on uh, TAVA uh, and was a leader in that field. Um, he's, he's really done a fantastic job. He's been president of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. He's on the board of the a American College of Cardiology. Um, he's, on the he's the president of the Thoracic Surgery Foundation for Research and Education, president of the Southern. So, you know, omnipresident. Uh, but, you know, when you meet him, and I've been very fortunate to meet him uh, at various meetings, he's just such a nice open guy you know really friendly really helpful very supportive of younger surgeons so my honorable mention this week goes to the wonderful michael mack so that's all we've got time for i hope you've enjoyed this podcast and do tune in next week uh, when we'll do another uh, run through of all the news of what's great in the world of kydothoracic surgery thank you very much for watching to the end